0: like a small town and I also like how we have so many resources around us and I really miss the river I feel like everyone says that probably but that was a big thing I was like oh I just want to go to the beach and which is funny because over there when I would tell people they'd be like oh you mean like there's like a little stream with some rocks that you'd hang out on it's like no there's, there's a legit beaches up river with sand you know that you can spend all day
1: whether you're an amateur or a pro cooks and chefs alike can feel at home at ampersand ampersand oil and vinegar tap house caters to those looking to expand their culinary technique through cooking classes kitchen gadgets and gear and of course gourmet oils and vinegars listen to our conversation with ampersand manager caitlin moody about her culinary background the italian agro mafia snoop dog and caitlin's ties to the lcv now here's the show Welcome to the show. This week we are joined by Caitlin Moody. She manages both the Moscow and Lewiston locations of Ampersand. How are you doing, Caitlin?
0: Good. How are you guys?
1: We're doing good. How about you, Brian? Not bad. I guess I it spoke was for uh, both of us.
2: Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, it was uh, it was a pretty good day. Um, fairly normal. Nothing out of the ordinary over here. That's good. Yeah. Cool. So Ampersand um is oil and vinegar right that's that's like the what's the official title
0: so our official title is ampersand oil and vinegar tap house and so that is our biggest thing our olive oils and balsamic vinegars on tap but we also have a whole slew of um, all-natural gourmet food products and kitchen tools and and now wine and beer so variety
2: very cool and let's see where where are your locations
0: So we just celebrated our year anniversary in our new Lewiston location, which is right next to the old Liberty Theater in Brackenberry Square. Used to be the old Michael bus for people who are familiar with that. Um, the Moscow one is located on main street as well. Just down from the breakfast club. You guys familiar with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep.
1: A lot of Saturday and Sunday mornings (laughs) at the breakfast club. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So how did you get started in this? Um, Did you have a culinary background before you started working at ampersand or?
0: Yeah. So I actually got my bachelor's in culinary arts from the art Institute of Seattle. And then I worked over there for a few years. And then when I moved back to Lewiston, um, it was to help take care of my mom. And I just wanted to find a quick job. And I actually worked for regents and then SEL. Uh, And then ampersand opened in Lewiston. And I was like, this is where I need to be. So as far as teaching cooking classes and, and that it was kind of right up my alley.
1: That's cool. So tell yeah. us about the the cooking classes. What, what When do those happen? And are you able to do those right now in the world of COVID?
0: <laughs> so yes, we're back to doing them. We had stopped for a while. So what we do is it's demonstration style. So we have mm-hmm. a big kitchen, you sit around the bar, and it's like watching a cooking show, only you actually get to eat the food. So you usually get like four or five courses of food. Um, normally we would pass out samples throughout the whole thing, but we've had to modify it a little bit.
2: Sure.
0: And um, and then yeah, we give people the recipes and so they can follow along, they can make them at home later and do their shopping as well here. And we actually we had to stop all summer, which was really hard for us because that's a big Ampersand is kind of a it's a place that people have even if they love to cook when they come in, it's really overwhelming on the, the products that we have, and especially our oil and vinegar. A lot of people aren't fra- uh, uh, familiar with how that industry is so fraudulent. And so by doing the classes, we can really educate people on the, the benefits of buying olive oils and balsamics from a small boutique versus the grocery store, as well as how to use all the other products in the store. So this summer when we had to stop, we had to like really pivot and we actually did meals to go for four or five months, where we give us something really similar, food-wise, as as we did here. So we did three-course food uh, meals for like forty dollars for two people, I think, is what it came out to. And then um, once the restaurants in Lewiston started to open back up, we I think September was our first month being back open, and we just restricted the amount of people down to six, so we could space everyone out and um in moscow we got a larger bar as far as like the depth so you're farther away from the chef and and so we were able to start doing that again and and ultimately i mean my personal opinion is if you're going to go out here's safer than a restaurant anyways because you've got six people nobody's moving around you you're like stationary and you can feel comfortable to eat a meal um in that setting if it for some we've had some people who haven't gone out to restaurants they've just been ordering out but they've they've tease the idea by coming here which is nice to know that people feel safe
1: yeah well and then you get to take your like you said you get to take your experience back home where you can cut and copy your skills that you learn in those classes to you know stuff that you can do at home and and continue to buy stuff from you guys while you're cooking at home exactly well you've just given me a whole
2: list (laughs) of things to expend upon this is fantastic so (laughs) oh great um, uh, one of the things my coworker uh, loves the cooking classes. He, he would mm-hmm. go when you guys would go and he talks about them all the time. And uh, he just rants and raves about your products, mostly the different flavored oils and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah. he's told me many times how much fun he's had with his wife going to your guys' cooking stuff. So I oh, thought I I'd that. share that. Um, secondly, you mentioned, uh, man, there's a few of them. What do I want to talk about first? Let's start here. Uh, so you went to culinary school over near Seattle or in Seattle. Mm-hmm. What uh, what brought you to that, and how did you – Did I mean, it sounds fun. I've always kind of thought – I never thought I'd want to necessarily do culinary school, but I always thought it sounded like something really fun to do. I'm sure it's a lot of hard work also. Yeah. But it also sounds pretty fun.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I grew up here in the Valley, um, and for me it was kind of – I mean, I did grow up where it was – in high school where people like you got to go to college what are you going to do you got to pick a major and for me that was really scary I've always been an artist and and I was like I don't know I just want to (laughs) paint and then realistically at the time I mean I know there's a lot of avenues but I didn't realize them at the time I was like well I can't be a starving artist like I what's something else I love and my mom got really sick when I was um in middle school and so she was an amazing cook and I used to cook with her and and then it started off changing where we switched the roles and she would sit in the kitchen and tell me how to cook and, and what to do. And I would prepare the meal. And I realized that that was my favorite time of the day is like when we got cooking really brought us together. We got to sell, uh, you know, talk about the good things and the bad things from the day. And it was just a very designated time to to cook and to eat and, and just talk and be disconnected from the outside world, you know, as far as social media or the TV or things like that. And so I was like, well, that's what I want to do. So I and my dad lived over in Seattle. So kind of in my mind was that seemed like a good way to move far away without being (laughs) alone completely. So I could like kind of still have a little bit of support system there. And and it was it was hard. It was a lot different than I thought as far as the classes are four to six hours. And you're in the kitchen and it's hot and it's sweaty. And and a lot of the people actually that I went to school with had been in the military and then they either cooked in the military or just really liked it or had some money from the GI bill and was like, Oh, I'll do culinary school. So a good majority were five to 10 years older than me, if not more. And so it was a, a big, I was really young compared to everybody, which was just a different dynamic. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to school with people who are my age, who don't know how to pay their bills or, or have ever lived alone. So that was a really interesting dynamic, but I felt like it really, gave me a different perspective. And 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 then I wanted to push myself as hard as these people cause I was like, oh, they're here for a different reason than me. They're not just gonna dink off. So, um, and then everyone that taught there all as far as the chefs, they actually worked, the majority at least except for like one or two worked in the food industry at the time as far as, as either in a restaurant or in a catering business or something else. So they were, took their knowledge that they've learned that's very traditional and French. And then also we're using skills and techniques that they learned at that time. Like they were all modern too. So we got a little twist of, of learning everything. And I mean, ultimately I don't think anyone needs to go to culinary school. It's really expensive and it, it's kind of hard because you can learn all that stuff because it's a trade. Like you could just start as a dishwasher and work your way up. Sure. But I ha- was really fortunate that, because I did it, I learned all these fundamentals that might have taken me ten years. You know, I got them in three. So and learned from a lot of different people all all around and a lot of different cuisines versus having to be in one restaurant and jumping to you know multiple different ones to learn the different skills.
2: Yeah, and I know schools can be hit or miss, but definitely if you don't get into a good restaurant with a a decent atmosphere, you know, you might not find people willing to teach you those things and like exactly. Up. So that's so really there's cool.
0: definitely pros and cons I just whenever people ask me um I usually tell them because I have a lot of people who are like oh my kid really wants to cook or what do you recommend and you know I have some advice as far as like at home and and getting in that skills but also I was like if you can in high school try to work in a kitchen somewhere to really understand the environment because it's a crazy environment it's hot and sweaty and people are cussing at you constantly and you know like it's, it's a, it's much different. It's not glamorized like what we see on TV or what we imagine. So that's my biggest thing to people is just why not you test it out, make sure that environment is for you. And if it is, there's a ton of different things you can take with this degree too. Like as far as nutrition or catering, or, you know, you could go to, you know, teaching in school as well. So there is a lot of different options out there, but it's just a, it's a different environment.
1: Yeah, the the kitchen world and and the chef world. You know, I didn't really realize it was like that until I read like Kitchen Confidential in high school. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. shit, this is crazy. Yeah. P- chefs are crazy people. They do all this insane stuff, and they work super super hard, and they're just like kind of badasses.
0: I agree. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, did you get to like stodge at any restaurants, or then eventually cook at any any places in Seattle or anything like that?
0: Yeah, so I managed um, a New York-style deli in downtown Seattle near Pike's Place. And it was, uh, you know, just like a Jewish deli in New York, but in Seattle. And the owner, she was from Buffalo, and so that's when she opened it. So that was a really awesome experience. That was probably one of my favorite job experiences. Um, And then I also staged at Cafe Juanita. The chef there and owner, she won some a James Beard award and, and she was known for fresh pasta and that's one of my favorite things to make. So I was like, I need to go there so I can learn this skill. And I was there for six months and I didn't learn that skill from them. Oh, no. mm. I picked a lot of time and and sliced a lot of citrus and <laughs> cleaned octopus and <laughs> did all the things that I was like, why am I here? What am I doing? This is miserable. and And I... I look back now, I'm like, oh, I learned some really great things. But in the moment, I was like, this is pointless. I'm not gonna take anything <laughs> away from this. Uh, uh, so, then, oh, um, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, and then I worked at a fusion restaurant that was like Mexican and Asian. So it was like tacos and burritos, but on the with like more Asian influence as far as like kimchi and fried rice as the ingredients, and and chilies and things like that. And that would that was really fun. And now I also work at Jollymore's on the weekends. So, oh
2: great cool yeah um so uh, what i was gonna say w- before i rudely interrupted um was uh okay so drew and i this is a hypothetical we're coming over to hang out um and you're gonna what would you what would you make for us
0: i would definitely make banh mi's and some kind of dumpling and nice. maybe some pho if that i was really gonna awesome. go all
2: out yeah we'd be happy
0: yeah, that be okay. cool because
1: I I could never get my fingers to be nimble enough to do the little dumplings. I could never do it.
0: It it took a little bit of time even for me, but now I feel like I'm pretty quick at it. And well, I'll freeze them and. What they it's like my they say? You gotta get like snack.
1: you gotta get like twenty something little dimples on the top part or something like that for it to be like correct.
0: I think that's correct, and I think I get like eight, and I'm like that looks good. Yeah, that looks
1: pretty good. It's gonna taste the same.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the truth
2: is, we're not hard to please, but I'm sure it would be extremely good. Um, all right. So you mentioned that the oil industry and vinegar industry can be fraudulent.
0: Oh yeah. You want me to get, okay, I'll get into this part. So it's really interesting. And I actually had no idea about this till I started working here. And I had no so, idea about it
2: until twenty seconds ago. <laughs> you know about the tomatoes. Well, let Let's
0: dive into to the fraudulent life of olive oil. It's pretty scandalous. So it kind of roots down to there's this um couple things. So the FDA isn't regulating labels on olive oils that come into the U.S. from outside of the U.S. And then in Italy and other countries, there's this thing called the agro mafia, which it does sound like really goofy, but it's real. And it's the mafia is trying to control the food industry. And they do it to wine and cheese and bread and all this stuff, but also olive oil. And they threaten farmers. And by doing this, they're able to infiltrate the system really quickly from the very beginning, as far as growing it and they'll charge um, farmers or businesses like a tax so that they don't sell their stuff, you know? And then if they try to retaliate, they will harm their family, burn their groves down, their houses, their car, whatever they want to do to try to be like, Hey, you better keep it quiet. And so what they end up doing is they make this fraudulent olive oil. That's usually safflower or sunflower oil that's flavored and dyed. And then they call it olive oil and ship it in. But it's, or they can take olives from a ton of different countries or olives that are like being pressed so many times, you're actually getting down to like where there's no nutrients and then they'll test it. And a lot of the stuff we don't realize is actually, they consider lampant, lampant, I think is how they say it, which is essentially lamp oil. So it has no health benefits and when you cook, it's actually not good for you. So, um, and I mean, ultimately how Ampersand got started was the owner, she lived down in New Mexico for a while. And there were a handful of these olive oil and vinegar stores. And And she learned about the industry and why it's important to find out where your product is coming from. Because just because the label says it doesn't mean it's going to match what's inside the bottle. So she moved back up to the Moscow Pullman area and was working for uh, the college. But then she really missed being able to get these products that she had grown to love and knew how important they were to have. And so she decided to start Ampersand and she actually went to school with a lady in Bozeman, Montana who opened Olivelli. And that's where we actually get our oils and vinegars supplied from. And she has been certified to be able to taste fraudulent olive oils. And she works really closely with the farmers where we get them from. And, and then she does all the infusing all naturally and cold infusion so that we can make sure that we're... This is probably as fresh as you can get without being there on the, you know, in Italy or Greece on the farm. And because our olive oils are all stored correctly, they're not going to start breaking down until we pour them out of the bottles. But yeah, because of that fraudulent thing, we as consumers read that label. And we're like, oh, yes, an extra virgin olive oil. This must be, you know, good. And it's not. And since olive oil is one of the healthiest fats you can consume, you want to be able to make sure you're getting the right product because otherwise you're, buying it but you're not getting any health benefits and it's actually probably worse for you down the road and it doesn't taste good olive oil should taste good um, and be able to be used for from dipping bread in it to baking a cake which is nice
2: yeah thinking about it i'm sure i've tasted a couple fraudulent olive oils for sure
0: yeah one of the things we do before we start our classes actually it's the very first thing we do we kind of talk about this but we have people do a blind taste test of one of the most popular olive oils out there in the store compared to ours. And then same with balsamic. We'll have them taste them side by side and they can also see them. Um, the, the texture is different, the smell is different, the taste, and they can really realize like, oh, this is what I should be looking for. And we kind of give them some of the qualities uh, as far as like the aromas or the tastes that, that you would be looking for. Because olive oil is judged and produced in uh, similar to wine. So they have certain smells that go along with them, certain tastes that, those are what you're looking for in the different olives. And then all the olives get different flavors based on the region that they're grown. So that's why we have, you know, ones from Greece, Italy, Morocco, Lebanon, Spain, whole variety.
1: So is there any way as a consumer for you to kind of like buy through like an authorized dealer of sorts, like to ensure that you're not getting something that's fraudulent other than like probably don't buy it on Amazon or something like that?
0: Well, you can come to Ampersand. Sure,
1: that's, of course. At least
0: here, that's the best way to do it. Um, but there's some indicators. You can do some research. But a couple of things to, like, take in mind. So to be considered extra virgin, it needs to be the olives need to be picked and pressed in a 24-hour window. So they'll be on olive oil. If you look, sometimes there'll be keys on there where it will show you um, down. Like, and it's always small print on the bottom. They'll say, you know, these letters like SP is Spain and TK is Turkey on this stuff. And then up on the top of the bottle where it's hard to see in the clear plastic, they'll have a stamp with like six countries on there. So that's kind of indicating that they've got olives grabbed from anywhere. So they're telling you where they're coming from, but they're also in a way letting you know it's probably not that great. And then the other thing is what breaks down olive oil is heat or light and oxygen. So olive oils have already been poured into bottles and then have been transported in temperature fluctuating things or moved around in stores or in front of windows or um, under fluorescent lighting, they can already be breaking down by the time you get it because they've already been exposed to those different elements. And so if you do go to a place that's usually freshly poured um, and they're in like sealed containers, they don't have the light shining through them on the back, even though it looks pretty, uh, that's a good indicator. And then also doing some research. I know uh there are some in the stores and one thing too is olive oil unfortunately isn't very cheap so a four dollar bottle is also probably an indicator that it's you know for a gallon is probably not really what's in there so if you're getting one that's a little bit higher priced it might be might be an indicator but might not i'm not saying that's the the one thing but it's just doing your research and and at least for around here if you're looking for olive oil this is probably your best bet for a quality
1: one cool yeah cuz I know yeah. that they do the same thing with like San San Marzano tomatoes too where they'll say like these came from here but then in reality they totally didn't and there's something yeah different. exactly
0: yeah they just can say whatever and then like I said as consumers we're like oh yes this must be it <laughs> and balsamic is the same way too but it's easier to tell if you're in the store because if you look at the ingredients and it says caramel coloring molasses or some kind of additive that's an indicator. They've taken a wine vinegar, doctored it up, charged you more money, and called it a balsamic. So if it is just grape must as the first ingredient in wine, you're more likely to, that you're getting a, a, a balsamic versus a doctored up wine vinegar.
2: Gotcha. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the different kinds of oils that you have? And, th- and then I guess and then we can move on to vinegar. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So we have six traditional olive oils that are, those are from the countries I mentioned earlier. So we have two from Italy, um, one from Spain, one from Greek, Morocco, and Lebanon. And those ones are, they're not infused with anything, and they all range in flavor because they're picked at different seasons and they come from different areas. So some are really light and fruity, like the Moroccan has almost like a banana peel kind of flavor to it one point or there's ones all the way to the Il Cabino in Italy that's picked later in season and has a little bit more of a bitter finish and more of a peppery spice because when they're testing olive oils they actually look for a spiciness at the finish so that hits you in the back of your throat that's kind of reminiscent of like jalapeno arugula black pepper something like that So we have those ones and I just I always tell people it's based on your preference on, on what you either cook a lot of or what flavor you like and then we have whew, like 20-something flavored ones, and they're all naturally infused. So those are the ones that come from Italy. They go to Bozeman, Montana, and she uses the essence, the extracts, the essence of different herbs and citrus and things like that, and then infuses it into the oil to give you that flavor. And like our caramelized garlic and garlic and herb are our most popular ones just because
2: well, lo- Everyone loves garlic, yeah.
0: Exactly. One time I accidentally put it in a watermelon salad here that was supposed to be fruity and and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be a issue." Everyone loved it. We still loved it. They love the watermelon covered in garlic.
2: <laughs> oh man! I wonder what an olive oil with the essence of Drew would be like. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'd pass on that Maybe a one. So, tangy. Garlic and herb are, are your most popular ones. What's your strangest infusion?
0: Oh, I don't know. Maybe, Maybe one that ones. people
2: are most surprised by, or if there is one.
0: Um, the peppered bacon is one that's like kind of different because people get, you know, they are always pleasantly surprised with that one. People like cook with their eggs. They never know how they'll feel about it at the beginning and then they love it. Um, black truffle is something that some people are familiar with and not everyone.
2: I think I got some as a gift one time.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things you either love it or hate it, but there's some people here that like... That is their absolute favorite. They will put it on everything. But since it's a mushroom, it has a really strong, earthy kind of umami flavor. And for some people, it can be really overpowering. But when you find how to use it, it's, it's super tasty. So that's one that I think people are kind of surprised by when they end up liking it, too. Because they'll be like, ah, I hate mushrooms. So like,
2: okay. what would you recommend putting that on? Because I know I tried it a few times and it, I didn't hate it, but it definitely <laughs> wasn't my favorite. But what should I be cooking with that one?
0: So um, a couple really popular ways people like to use it is on popcorn and amame. So as far as like a really quick use for it, to drizzle it on there. Oh yeah. Um, it's truffles and potato is really good friend. So it's really good on roasted potatoes or when you make potato soup. Drizzle it on there. Uh, I personally, since it is our most expensive olive oil, I want the flavor to shine through. I don't want it to be lost because I'm I want to taste it. And so I like to finish things with it. So I'll I'll put it on top of pizza. Drizzle it on pizza. Um, I'll like I said, are all roast veggies. So that's its primary flavor. Uh, Drizzling it on top of potato soup is really good or on top of pasta. So once you dish your pasta in like a red sauce and you do a little drizzle on there, it just adds another layer of flavor. That's really delicious.
1: All right. I'll give it another try. Yeah. Cool. So um, you talked about vinegars. What, what vinegars do you have? And then are those also, those are on tap and the oil is not on tap. Is that how that works?
0: Oh no, they're all on tap. They're so all on tap. The olive oils and then the balsamics. I was just saying, if you went somewhere that it was on tap in a store, that's where it, like it's already been poured out. Gotcha. Um, into containers. So our balsamics, uh, those are all from Modena, Italy, which is like the home of uh, balsamic. And we have our base ones, which are a dark balsamic and a white balsamic. And then we have our aged ones. And the aged balsamics, they. They're what people are looking for when they want like a balsamic reduction, that really thick balsamic that you can drizzle on things. Only it's not heated up or added sugars to make it thick. What they do is they take those original ones, the darker, the white, and they put it in a barrel. And then every year someone who is essentially like a sommelier of balsamic goes and takes a little sample. And if there's no imperfections, then they put it in a smaller barrel and continue to age it up to 10 years. So over time, that water evaporates and those sugars condense, which gives us this really rich, thick, and uh, balsamic. And the reason they actually started doing that was it was kind of a romantic story. So they would, when farmers would have their first daughter, when they're winemakers, then they would take some of that balsamic and they'd start aging it. And then when she got married, they'd give that really thick balsamic as a dowry to the family she was marrying into. And that's why we also have these 25 year age balsamics that are like, the high, the top of the top, but those ones you would just use for like on a piece of strawberry or cheese or like a strawberry so that you would really get to, to taste all the flavors that come in that one. Um, and then we have all these infused balsamics. So just from fruity ones to, to savory ones that people like to, the thing is people always think balsamics are made for salads, but you should use them in every part of your cooking. So every, just like salt, all your dishes could use an acid just to bring another level of flavor. So people have like really been able to explore all these balsamics and find different ways to use them besides just a salad dressing, which is – that's one of my favorite things to teach people about because I love balsamic. I love vinegar. I'm just like, I'll I, take it.
2: I do I have to admit the first thing I heard when you said fruity balsamic was that would be awesome on a salad. But <laughs> I do these vegetable – rice dishes and i love putting balsamic in there as well so that's
0: oh yeah we have um a black garlic tamari balsamic that's almost like remezi- with the black garlic and then the tamari which is the soy sauce it gives it like a real teriyaki flavor and that's what i use that a lot especially in rice dishes so yeah for, like, i'll be in Asian for that
1: taste. that sounds delicious it's,
0: it's really good
1: <laughs> so when you guys do cooking classes are those kind of based on seasonality and then do you try to source stuff like locally in terms of the the ingredients that you use in the classes how does that work
0: so um the class schedules or sorry the menus based on the chef that's teaching it and so I personally and I know the other chefs that are down in Lewiston um we try to do it based on seasonal ingredients as well as we look at the new products that we have in the store or think of different cuisines that people can't get around here and just, and kind of build it all around that. So it's kind of a, a big mess of things of how we decide what we want to do. As far as local products, um, Moscow is easier in the summertime as far as like using the farmer's market. So they use that a lot uh, in Lewiston. It's, it's hit and miss and like, you know, the farmer's markets and like what's available, but we do try where we can. And then especially like, if we know there's a a thing that we would have access to around here, or even like meat, because we can go to like um, four friends meat market or stuff like that, we definitely try where we can can put that in there, and then and then obviously tell our our class where we got it from. Well, should we want to yeah support that local.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, I mean um, we have uh, done an interview with the Clarkston farmer's market as a previous episode. Have you guys ever thought about taking your stuff or have you taken your stuff to Lewiston or Clarkston farmer's market and uh, maybe done samples or anything like that?
0: We haven't. I don't know if the owner has tried to do that in Moscow, but as far as up there, they're like they're amongst the farmer's market. So it probably doesn't. It probably oh, doesn't right. They're right a there. Booth. You know, yeah. People are already walking in, <laughs> right. um, but we haven't done that here. I know when we've had different downtown events, it, we usually try to put out more samples or do things to, to encourage people just to try things, even if they're not shopping today. Uh, but the farmer's market's not something that we've tried. I've never even thought about doing it as far as the Lewis Center Clarkson one. So that's a good thing for me to put in my little list to check out. Well,
2: I know they're always looking for vendors, so I thought I'd plug it and then remind listeners that, you know, a few short months away from farmer's market
1: 2021. So Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. So you, you mentioned you just started kind of doing those classes again. Um, mm-hmm. How often do those occur?
0: Usually they, we have two a week to the public, and then we do private parties on top of that. And so we actually had a lot of people. It's pretty cool. So I've been trying to think of the difference between last Christmas versus our most recent one. And we've had a lot of people this year that were new or hadn't been in. And I think it's because one, we've definitely lost some shopping here in the Valley. And then also this last year really reminded people of like shopping local. And so we had a lot of people respond with getting private parties for their family or friends to give more of an experience versus a physical item. So in January and we did a, a hand, like we did five or six private parties, I think. And then we have a couple in February and a couple in March that were all and most of them were from people buying them in December and then reusing them in now. So it kind of fluctuates, but we for sure have two a week. And those public ones are first-come, 1st first serve. So you got to sign up quickly if you want them. They fill out quick.
1: So you basically just come on come on down to the physical location, sign up that way, and then that ensures your your spot in the class?
0: Yeah. So we don't have a system to sign up online. It just um, we have to make sure that people don't have allergies, and it's easier just to make sure sh- as far as – making reservations, that's the most concrete way. I know a lot of people would like to do it online, but it's just easier for us to get the information in person. So we can do it over the phone or uh, you can physically come down to the store. But we put all of our our calendars and the menus all on online and our social media so people can quickly look at them and know which one they want to go to so they have access to that before they come down here.
2: Cool. So if uh, I wanted to get a private party together and come in, how many people do you need for something like that?
0: So it's actually just a flat rate of $400. And then right now we are still allowing up to 10 people for private parties because a handful of reasons. Lewis doesn't really have as strong of rules and restrictions as Washington. So it's kind of on us and and figuring out what we need to do. So we've made the assumption and and when we – ask customers this if they're doing a private party with their work group or their family they typically already are around them or feel comfortable being with them in a closer proximity and so and then the chef and the wait staff we wear masks to give them um a little bit more safety and comfort while they're here and so like i said it's just a flat rate of 400 dollars, and then you get to pick your pick your group that comes and then you get to pick your menu too so you can either pick one from one we've done in the past, or you can tell us what you like to cook or what you like to eat or interested in, and we can build a menu just for your group. So that's where the difference is versus a public class. It's $40 a person. We only can have up to six right now, and then uh, the menu's already set. You know, We've already decided on it, and you're signing up because that sounds good to you.
2: Hello, Old Spiral Podcast listeners. If you're like me and enjoy pulling out a bottle of wine while you're cooking dinner, during dinner, after dinner, or uh, anytime the mood strikes you, then you should try the wine from Pereja Cellars. Pereja Cellars is a boutique Washington winery with a tasting room in downtown Clarkston located at Sixth Street. Their goal is to make high quality, affordable, and delicious wines from the unique grapes of Spain and southern France, all grown here in Washington State. They're currently offering huge discounts on their wine, starting at $60 a case for a delicious white Rhone blend. You can also mix and match a case of their Trace Rojas Red, House Red, Sisters of the Vine white blend, and the White Rhone for $120 a case. That is 12 bottles of wine for $10 each. Prejas is also offering free home delivery, so there's no excuse not to support this local business. For more info, check out their Facebook, call 509-910-9844, send an email to mark at Sellers.com. that's mark at p-a-r-e-j-a-s-sellers.com. Also, if you haven't yet, listen to our episode with owner Mark Wisling to see how much knowledge and passion this guy has for good wine. Curbside and delivery,
1: Thursday through Saturday from 1 to 5. So, I mean, obviously you guys sell other stuff other than just vinegars and oils. What what sorts of other things do you have there available?
0: So um, we have breakfast stuff. So we have like jams, sauces, and um, different mixes for pancakes or crepes. We have a whole slew of um, spice blends, so different world spice blends. So really popular ones that like for India, garam masala is a national uh, – spice that's used in all different regions um sashimi tagarachi was the japanese one so we have a variety of those we have infused sea salts we have a whole bar section with different uh mixers and simple syrups bitters we just started selling beer and wine actually right we got like our first shipment i think a week before we had to like make our like clothes for coke we didn't have to close but before we had to like shut everything down and, and revamp what we are doing so we have that now and we're getting to the point hopefully in the next month in March we'll be able to have it where people can come sit down and have a glass and we'll have cheese boards and as well as uh, the wine is all retail so you can buy it to go and yeah a little bit of everything and a lot of kitchen gadgets too and we do have some household items or not household items like personal items so we have people that end up shopping here just cause they're downtown as far as like tourists or Christmas shopping. So we do have some all natural like lotions and soy candles and a few pretty household things too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, I think I picked up my Staub pan from Ampersand in Moscow.
0: Oh yeah.
1: It was either that or do you guys carry a Le Creuset?
0: No, it's Staub.
1: It's all Staub. Okay. Then yeah. it was definitely in the Staub one that I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So do you guys supply
2: any local restaurants with oils or, or do you just sell it all in-house?
0: So um, Moscow has quite a few in the downtown area that do it, like TAPS. And now that we have TAPS moving across the street from us soon, I'm, my guess is they'll probably use it as well because they already have integrated that into their uh, process of menu building. Sure. Uh, Nectar up there uses it. And I think there's a handful more. And down here in Lewiston... Jolly Moore's uses it as well as Amua. They'll, they do some of our vinegars. Um, Brock's has used it, not as a full-time, but I know that they definitely have. But it's cool because the owner, she has like a – oh, and uh, Rivara, the winery.
2: Right, yeah. She,
0: yep. They started using it for their tasting plate. Um but we give a discount to businesses that use our product in the store. So it, it varies based on the size that they get because we have a variety of sizes for the oils. So depending on the size, the higher the discount kind of thing, as well as a uh, discount on spices, salts, other items, too. So uh, that's something that I slowly have been trying to tell people when they come in. And I'm like, will you work there? We'll get a discount if you use it. <laughs>
1: that's cool. Yeah. Um, I just kind of had a brain squirrel, but I've always wondered this. A brain squirrel? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard <laughs> that one. Yeah. I combined... Uh, Storm? Well, that and, you know, how everybody's like, oh, squirrel. Oh. Mine was a diverted. Door. I like it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> uh, why is it that some of the more, like, I guess, higher end olive oils are, like, straight up green? Like, they look like antifreeze or something. They're, like, really green.
0: So, I think and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I feel confident about this enough, is because those olives have sat on the tree longer, so the color has developed. I think it's, well, there's a couple of factors. It could be the type of olive that goes in there and they use, but then also, like, for example, we have a Moroccan olive oil that's picked really early in season, and it's really light in color, versus, like, the Greek olive oil that's picked later in the season, and it has more of that emerald green. So I think it's a, a combination of the type of olive and then how long it sits on the tree, and ripens to get that
1: more color to it. Gotcha.
0: But don't yeah. hold that against me if I'm wrong. No, I'm to, sure. the that sure world that's listening.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to look it up. I'm sure you're <laughs> on the right track. But yeah, I've, I've just noticed that like if you watch like some videos on YouTube or something like that where somebody's dumping in olive oil, sometimes it's like straight up green. And I've yeah, always wondered, yeah. what is that? What is that about? But
0: I think that means it's healthy. You know, like green things have more more vitamins and antioxidants. And
2: sure. Yeah. They
0: consume it.
2: Drew, that was a really good on point question. <laughs> I see a cardboard cutout of Snoop Dogg behind you. <laughs> uh, is there a story to that or is it just awesome?
0: Um, so we got this cookbook originally that's called From Crook to Cook and it's Snoop Dogg's cookbook and it sold out like crazy. Ghost and written so, by uh, Martha Stewart. <laughs> No, oh, no, it wasn't. I looked it up, but oh, she does no have a way. forward in there. <laughs> I, I assume that was, but I think it was a different guy. But um, <laughs> so then when we started selling wine, I went to a tasting with one of our um, distributors, and then he pulled out this this bottle of wine. And he's like, "This is more of a joke," but it was Snoop Dogg's "19 Crimes." Cali Red. Have you guys heard of "19 Crimes"?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So there, yeah, they're wine. You can find them in Winco or um, Albertsons, but they nope. we're the only location so far in this area that has the Snoop Dogg one, but he collaborated with them to make this wine. And so when I said that I wanted to get it, we got a case and it sold out like within a day or two, just purely because <laughs> Snoop Dogg's face is on it. They're like, I got to buy it. And so I was telling the distributor and he's like, well, we got this cardboard cutout and there's only one. Do you want it? And I was like, Yes. So, so we did a contest actually where it was like take a picture with Snoop Dogg, and then if you shopped and spent a certain amount, then you were entered to win um, a bottle of his wine, his cookbook, and then some oil and vinegar. And so it was just it, I just think it's so funny. For Christmas, he had like a Christmas hat on, and now it's becoming just a permanent thing in this this like our location at least.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, one thing I forgot to ask is what is the owner's name?
0: Ely Garrity.
2: Oh, okay. And, um, what's it like working for her? (laughs) I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) It's great, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's get the details.
0: (laughs) No, she actually, she's really great. I shouldn't say she's active. No, she's really great to work for. So I started working here part time, like two days a week. And then I was, my biggest thing was I wanted to chef here and she was just super encouraging of that. And then slowly I just kept wanting to take on more responsibilities and she let me have them and and we get along really well and both have very similar um I would say like learning styles so it helped us like work together and and she really cares about her employees and she has shown that to me and and to all of us in so many different ways and it really reminds me of why I love working for a small business um versus a corporation which so there's aspects to that that can be really great. And it's it's just not for me to sit at a desk. And so when I got the opportunity to work here and then saw how well she treated well her employees, but also cared about her business and what she brought into the store was really, for me really, was a, I had the realization of, oh yeah, this is exactly where I wanna be. This is the kind of place that I've been looking for is where I get to be creative. Um, I get to try new things. And I get opportunities that I went to other, other places while having like a really good structure and leadership. And so that was, for me, I, I was super excited and felt really lucky to be able to have fallen into this position.
2: All right. Well, expect your promotion
1: uh, or pay raise anytime now for that answer. <laughs>
0: That's really good.
1: That's cool. So were you, you probably weren't expecting to, I mean, even find something like this when you came back home, I'm sure, right? Because this probably no. didn't exist when you came back.
0: It did not. So I, I've been back, I guess now four, five years and I worked at seasons uh, for a little bit as a wait staff, which I loved it. But um, they only, unfortunately Idaho has lower wages for wait staff. And like at the time I was like, I can't afford to live on it because I was working part time and, you know, I didn't have seniority. So they gave me as many hours as I could, but it just, it wasn't ultimately But that was the closest restaurant that I was like, this is where I want to work. Like, I really love the food and I love how small it is and how small the menu is. And so um, because I just was very particular on what I wanted to do as far as like working in the food industry. And I also did quickly realize that I love doing it, but I, I haven't like I want menus that change. I want to push myself and do different things that I didn't feel like some of the restaurants around here were giving me the opportunity to do and and that has completely changed since it's kind of great I feel like a lot of restaurants have popped up in that time span between Sate and Jollymore's is really booming and you know Amua all these really rocks a lot of great restaurants have have started to pop up so if I wouldn't have found out Ampersand I definitely have more of an, an option if I would have needed it but yeah I didn't I like that here I get to do a different menu multiple times a week I get to try different foods I get to help recipe test and create recipes and photograph it so I get to use my artistic side as well and so that's just a little bit different than working in an actual restaurant
1: right so I'm sure you came back for family and stuff of course but was there anything else that you like really missed or were excited to come back to when you came back to the valley
0: honestly I was really excited for it to be smaller and a little bit slower pace being in Seattle was awesome and I I liked getting to really try all these different things and see so many different people but I quickly realized like I enjoy like a small town and I also like how we have so many resources around us and I really miss the river I feel like everyone says that probably but that was a big thing I was like oh I just want to go to the beach and which is funny because over there when I would tell people they'd be like oh you mean like there's like a little stream with some rocks that you'd hang out on it's like no there's there's a legit beaches up river with sand, you know, that you can spend all day. So that, and then there were some food like, I love Thai paste. I think it's so great. It's and I sleeper. really miss it's that. So
1: good. <laughs> Nobody like talks about it, but it is a total sleeper. It's one of the best restaurants in town.
0: Oh, it's one of my favorites. Actually, my, my uncle became friends with the owners. He went back to Thailand, met their niece. They moved back over here. And so we kind of have like a little family tie to Thai taste, and I'm like, "I need to learn how to make all of these things from you, <laughs> so that I can make the fried rice, but that's okay, I like laying them. You like,
1: also but... now need to do like a old spiral podcast, Ampersand collab, where oh. we go to Thailand, and you kind of learn and we just hang out and I'm down food. well, yeah,
0: that's great because my uncle just built the house over there, so <laughs> there we you just go. gotta go sit, pay for the flights. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to just eat my way through Thailand when that is an opportunity that I can do and when I can travel again. Soon
1: enough, hopefully. Yeah. Cool.
2: So, um, a little bit ago, the music turned on out of nowhere. And you said in passing, oh, the ghost did it. Jokingly, almost. But I felt that there was a little bit more truth in that joke than you let on.
0: Well, we we really (laughs) think that. I mean, we're connected to the Civic Theater, and I haven't done one of the underground ghost tours. Something I need to do. I actually want to set that up for our We just did a
2: ghost hunt uh, last Thursday in a building downtown Lewiston. We had a a group on for Halloween called the um, Surrounding Lewiston Area Spirit Hunters, or Slash, Uh and it's these two really nice ladies that go ghost hunting around here, and they took us with them. Uh, So we got to go. I brought all my recording equipment and it was very interesting. So, you're in yeah, good company we, here discussing ghosts.
0: Yeah, we think that there has to like we he's definitely our friend. He <laughs> I've also I forgot his name, but Gabe told me, so I forgot. So, <laughs> should have got that before the podcast. Um but little things will happen where like the music will randomly turn on. It's like connected bluetooth and it will just be everything will be off. And be good to go. And then all of a sudden the music will just turn on. Or we found just like one single jar of jam sitting perfectly in the center of an like the sort of they have aisles, but it's kind of set up in this circle. And there was just like one waiting for us in the morning. You know, just like little things like, Hey, you forgot this, or or I put this right here, i'm just checking it out, checking the ingredients out. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, We're we all think seat. and we can go in the basement downstairs who we use for storage. And and I feel like just tell you know there's there's something down there I just don't know what I got to do one of the ghost hunts for tours so we can learn more about it <laughs> and this building has been here forever so
2: oh yeah the, late 1800s the odd fellows,
0: yeah the odd fellows were in it before us and they had a ballroom upstairs so this building alone I feel like has a ton of history that oh, I no wonder the music
2: un- turns on there's a ballroom upstairs right
0: they want to dance exactly yeah. <laughs>
1: So, for folks that haven't been to that space, what's it like? Um, I know you said it's it's pretty new, so I imagine it's it's pretty cool and modern. Did you guys do like a big renovation or
0: not a ton? So it has all the original brick exposed on both sides of the place, which we really like, and the beams in the middle. They just sanded them and painted them a little bit differently. Um, there's still like the pipes are all exposed. So it's very industrial. It's a lot more open than our last place. And the ceilings are way tall. It's like double the height of our other one. So it feels much bigger, really open. Um, and then what we did do is we added a couple walls because we have a little secret project that we're working on for hopefully the end of the summer. So everybody stay tuned for that. It's been in the works um but in the back half and then we added in like a little storage area but they really didn't have to do a ton of really remodel they put in new flooring um i mean it was a ton of work they had to clean it put in new flooring put in they got some different tile um they used our but they used our old kitchen that was exactly the one from the old location and they just literally took it out and walked it down the street (laughs) part of it which is kind of funny it was very new york style having these eight burly men just carrying a you know, a giant Island down the street, but it, it has similar feels from our last place and really different, which is pretty cool. Cause it feels still the same, but in a new way.
1: Cool. Yeah I, yeah. I haven't had a chance to come check out the one in Lewiston yet. So I'm excited to come do that.
0: It's really cool. I think I, so we went from Mark Alexander and he's pretty big downtown and he was, he helped us do some of this renovation as far as like the um, picking out different things and getting this building ready for us. And, but the owner was able to really put her own still her own stamp and idea on how she wanted it, even though he was, his crew was kind of the the one that remodeled, but we got to make our set it up like ampersand to give that high end boutique feel that we want everyone to have when they come in here. Cause we do want when people come in, to not necessarily have the same feeling like they're in Lewiston or just be proud that this store is in Lewiston, either way they look at it. So we want people to come in and, and make it a whole experience, not just, I have to go grab something. It's, they smell things, they get to taste things, they get to see new things. And and now they'll be able to sit down and, and enjoy other people's company. It's the same with like the classes. So we work really hard to give people that, that feeling.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think it is cool to have some kind of variety like that. Um, That's one thing that I feel like is lacking in the Valley are really good restaurants other than the ones that you mentioned by name, Mm -hmm. which I I love all those as well. And I'm sure Brian does too. Um, You know, there's just not a lot of variety. It's like hamburgers, breakfast place, like that's it.
0: Lewiston is definitely a meat and potatoes town that wants a really big meal for very cheap. And yep. so I, I see that changing, which is really cool, but it's one of those things that once it changes, it's going to be awesome, but it's, it's a slow burn for the Valley sometimes to, to change into new habits. Uh, I think Hogan's does a really good job too. uh, skate. Well, I love, Oh, they also use our oils and vinegars too. Um, but he does a good job with like keeping just like a solid meal, really quality stuff but we'll do those unique specials that let people be like, cause they feel comfortable there and they like the chef and all that. They're like, I'm going to try that even though that might not be something that I would do. And same with like the drinks and Dolly Moore's does that as well with their wine dinners and their beer dinners. I think they get a really like push people out of their comfort zone. So as long as people keep trying it, we're going to be, we're going to, it's going to be pretty great. Just, it takes a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Not everything has to be coated in ranch.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Cool. Agree to disagree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
2: I like the food you're talking about, but I am not against coating something in ranch every now and again, especially if it's deep fried. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, everything's better when it's deep fried. So that's
2: yeah. very true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Ampersand, home of Friendly Ghosts and Snoop Dogg Wine. And oh, yeah, they have oil and vinegar as well. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking with us today. I really appreciate yeah. it. Um, uh, so if anybody listening, uh, let's see, they can find you on Facebook, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Facebook. And Instagram.
1: Cool. So and on follow- our website. Bang. There you go. We come, got it all. Yeah. Come visit you in person and then definitely sign up for a class. I think I want to.
2: <laughs> this episode of the show is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash old spiral podcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks
1: for listening.